strong and mighty tower that I can run to. shield from every tempest. He's an anchor that is sure in times like these. It's good to know that God is my refuge, a strong and mighty tower that I can run to God is my refuge without him what would I do once I wandered from his shelter up ahead I could not see those dark clouds gathering with rain when the winds blew hard against me he called out and i ran to him i'll never wander again because god is my strong and mighty tower that I can run to. God is my refuge. Without him, what would I do? tower that I can run to. God is my refuge. Without him, what would I do? Without him, what Amen. Without him, what would I do? That's a good question, isn't it? Amen. Boy, the world doesn't have the Lord Jesus Christ, and boy, I tell you, I wonder sometimes just how they do it. And again, I guess you'd have to almost be in denial to some degree about some of the things that are going on in your life, and maybe even when it comes to death, in order to face some of those things. But the fact is, is that we don't have to worry about that. We have the truth. We have the, the Word of God. We know what is going to happen. I love the fact that we have the, the end of the book. We can read it and know how it all turns out. I like that. 
Well, let's go ahead and take our Bible. Turn over to Genesis 1-1 again. Again, we're dealing with marriage made simple. Marriage made simple. Solutions for a struggling marriage. I guess you could say if you really wanted to. Actually, I'm just trying to give some basic, I guess, thoughts, ideas, things that we can do, characteristic qualities that we need in our marriage, I guess. Um, I don't know. It's just trying to keep it simple. We, we just complicate everything. And I'll tell you what, marriage is one of those things we complicate. It doesn't have to be so complicated. In Genesis 1-1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning God created. And we know God is the designer, he's the creator. And you know, we talked about the fact that you can't remove even one of the gears in a watch or it'll no longer keep time. You can't remove even one element of an assembly line or the line will come to a screeching halt. We said you cannot remove even one portion of the water cycle without it causing catastrophic repercussions in our ecosystem. Well, you know what? In like manner, you can't redefine, neglect, remove, or abuse God's most fundamental institution, marriage, and not leave our society morally compromised and culturally bankrupt. It just can't happen. You can't mess with marriage, what God created, and think somehow that our society and our culture is going to maintain its sufficiency and its, its success. It's not going to. It's going to ultimately disintegrate right before our very eyes, and we're watching it happen. So we've been looking at some key findings along the way, and we take those key findings from what I call the State of the Union 2010. I found this report, and I've been just giving little tidbits here and there. And so I want to share just a couple of more real quickly. First of all, in James chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And then in James 4, 8, the Bible says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Double-mindedness is a real problem. Well, listen to some of this, these statistics from the State of our Union, uh, State of the Union, excuse me, our unions, excuse me, 2010. Now, this is all the way back in 2010, all right? The desire of teenagers of both sexes for, quote, a good marriage and family life has remained high over the past few decades. Boys are almost 10% points less desirous of this than girls. However, they're also a little more pessimistic about the possibility of a long-term marriage. Now, again, I think it's important to recognize and understand that the desire of teenagers for both boys and girls is for a good marriage and family life. Now, that's important. That's still high on their list as a whole. <clears throat> However, yet more than 50% of teenagers now accept non-marital childbearing as a, quote, worthwhile lifestyle, at least for others. They do not... It goes on in the report to say they do not seem to grasp its enormous economical, social, and personal costs. Now, I want you to think about that. Teenagers of both genders, male and female, they want or believe a good marriage and family life is important, and they want that. However, they also embrace, by 50% of them, and this is 2010, that non-marital childbearing is a worthwhile lifestyle. Now, that is inconsistent. To have a non-marital childbearing lifestyle is not marriage. And yet, the majority of them want a good marriage, but then they're also okay with, well, you can have a child without being married. That's also a good lifestyle. 
See, once again, double-mindedness. That's unstable. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And may I say, we're raising a generation of unstable minds. <clears throat> Goes on to say, another remarkable increase is in the acceptance of living together before marriage, now considered usually a good idea by 65% of all teens. And I think we had a statistic recently that was more recent, I think nine years recent, more re- uh, one year more, uh, excuse me, nine years later than the one we're reading, which would put it at 2019, that raised it even higher than 65%. But still, even at that, think about that. It's usually a good idea to live together before marriage. 65% back in 2010 said that was a good idea. Now, that is inconsistent with biblical marriage. You cannot exercise the world's philosophy and input it into marriage. You can't redefine what a marriage is or how to achieve successful marriage and think you're going to get the same result. It doesn't work that way. You say, well, what's the point of sharing these key findings from the state of our unions? Well, it's to heighten our awareness of of Satan's attack on marriage in our culture. He is subtly attacking marriage from every avenue and every, uh, uh, every area possible. I mean, you just can't watch television. You can't get on the Internet. You can't uh, listen to songs or music half the time without something undermining God's institution of marriage. And those are subtle things. We get to the place where we're somewhat numb to them, aren't we? You know, we don't even recognize it. We say, oh, really? They said that in that song? Yeah, your children are listening, though, I promise you. Be very careful what you allow them to watch, listen to, and be exposed to because the world, the devil, is certainly undermining marriage. Now, we talked about the need for commitment. We said be committed. Some of the simple things we talked about, we said, okay, well, okay, solution. We said marriage made simple, okay, be committed. We know that uh, commitment is foundational to every relationship. It, pro- it, pro- it promotes trust, it facilitates truth and honesty. Those are all things that are absolutely necessary in a marriage if it's going to continue to thrive. We said be kind. And we spent the last few weeks addressing and talking about the fact that we need to be kind one to another. We said that marriages often suffer a, from a lack of kindness. We also noted that a greater percentage of marriages would be sweeter, stronger, and more stable if only couples would be kind to one another. The simple thought of just being kind. Kindness goes a long ways. And you know what? There's very little mutual respect and admiration between spouses when kindness is missing. It's all there is. It just doesn't exist. So we said your marriage will rise and fall in your words in many cases. And so we took some time to talk about ways to show kindness through our words. Now tonight I want to begin by talking about this thought. Be considerate. Be considerate. Now, again, you say, well, none of these things are are life-changing. They can be. They can be. I am amazed how many couples think they know how to have a good marriage, but they don't. It's amazing. We got all the answers, preacher. Yeah, but you don't do anything. Your marriage is still a wreck. It's still messed up. Or it's not everything you want it to be, and you just live with it. Well, that doesn't have to be that way. Why settle for subpar when you can have better? Now, you can't control every circumstance in your household. You as an individual can only control you. But you need to take steps to do your part to make it the best it can be. 
And if you've got both of you that are both believers and you're both striving and working toward that end, there is no reason in the world why your marriage can't be everything God intended it to be. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Be considerate. Again, we already talked about the idea of be committed and be kind. Well, let's be considerate now. Let's talk a little bit about that. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. We go from Genesis all the way to almost to the end of the Bible here. Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. <clears throat> Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, in this particular passage, it's obvious that Peter is addressing husbands. That's his emphasis. That's his real focus. And right off the bat, he says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. He is saying that husbands are to be considerate. That's really what he's saying. And all, just to boil it down to what's being addressed here, husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Be considerate. Give honor to your wife. Be considerate. As unto the weaker vessel, be considerate. That's what he's basically saying here. Again, according to Peter then, husbands aren't to be bossing and bullying around their wives. Honey, you will do this, and honey, you will do that, and well, you just shut your mouth. I'm sick and tired of listening to you. Huh? Somebody says, oh, none of us would ever say that in church to our wives. Oh, Okay. Nothing like a good shouting match to make the marriage sweet. They don't happen? Oh, I'm sure they've happened in a number of homes. And let me tell you something. As husbands, he addresses some issues, and he's saying, listen, you need to be considerate. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Don't be going around bossing or bullying the wives. We're not to be ordering them around, letting them do all the heavy work or making unreasonable demands upon them. That's not what God intended for the husband to be or to do according to, uh, uh, with his wife. He points out that they're the weaker vessel. This isn't something that's very popular today. It's certainly not politically correct to address this issue, but the Bible's pretty clear. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now listen, husbands ought to be considerate of their wives because they are the weaker vessel. That's a good reason to be considerate of them. Listen, I don't know about you, but when I watched somebody when I was in school years ago, and I would watch somebody that was a little bit weaker getting picked on by somebody a little stronger, I stepped up and I said, you know what, you're not going to do that. I was considerate of that, that person's feelings. I wasn't about to let them have to deal with that bully in the schoolyard. And you know what? There's no reason in the world why we as men being the vessels we are and our wives being the vessels God created them to be, that we would put on them undue stress. And he points out again in the passage, and I think it is important to recognize that when Peter says that they are the weaker vessel, he's, it, it, listen, he's not implying that they're incompetent or incapable. That's not what's being addressed here, but rather that they're not as strong physically or they find themselves more often than not maybe a little bit more emotionally moved than men. And that is changing, I'm, I'm afraid to say. Men are being conditioned to be stinking crybabies. I'm sorry, but I'm a little fed up with it. 
I am fed up with the fact that we're raising a bunch of boys that are being taught to be little girls. Now, there's a problem with that. We better be real careful with that. Mom, let your dad beat up the little boys a little bit. Let him get a little rough with them and tumble around with them. Let them go ahead and act like men. Let them go out there and work a little bit and sweat a little bit. It's good for the little junior to get out there with daddy and have to bust it a little bit because he needs to learn how to be tough. Well, don't take it easy on him. You're too hard on him. Maybe he needs a little bit of hardness. I'm sorry, folks, but we're watching a generation grow up, and we're wondering why there's so much tendency for boys to want to be girls today. We're wondering why there's so much confusion about how I should dress and how I should look and who I should be. Let me tell you something. It ought to be pretty simple if you're in a Christian home. If you're a man, you're a man. If you're a woman, you're a woman, and it's simple. That's enough. No questions asked. And you're going to start acting like a man. You're going to start acting like a lady. When we start letting our little girls dress and act like men, we got problems. When we start letting our little boys dress and act like women, we got problems. We say, well, that's that's just your opinion. Okay, go ahead and do it the way you want. I'm seeing the way the world's turning out. We better, you you throw your children to the wolves when you disregard God's word in these areas. Be careful. We're talking about marriage now, though. And listen, it's important that that the husband gives honor to the wife, he says. And the husband ought to be very careful to recognize and to note the the, the wife's strengths and weaknesses. Identify, Identify areas of vulnerability even. You know, when he says give honor to the wife, I think he's saying treat her as royalty. Treat her as royalty. Praise her, protect her, and prefer her above all others. Now, I know, ladies, I'm hitting all the guys right now, but let me tell you, the principles that we're recognizing, we're talking about here, do apply across the board, though, to some degree. Now, listen, there's no reason in the world why if you got, you know, 400 pounds of weights in the basement that, uh, ladies, you should be the ones moving the weights, okay? That should be the husband's job. But the principles are still the same. Being considerate one to another. So important. Not only that in the passage, but we note in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands are to be not only considerate, but they're to be cooperative. Notice he goes, as being heirs together of the grace of life. They're heirs together. We are to cooperate with one another. Husbands and their wives are partners. We're supposed to be working together. They got, and that's what partners do, right? We work together, whether it's a business or whether it's a marriage. You're working together for the success of the whole. And you know, the Bible even makes it clear that there's more than mere marriage vows that bind couples together. There's Jesus Christ. Christ lives in us, and we are co-laborers together. We're heirs together. That's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes we really draw things down real quick. We kind of we dismiss things that we think are insignificant, and one of them is that Christ is in us and that we are both Christians, which means that not only are we a couple as a result of our marriage vows, but we are a team of co-labors on behalf of Jesus Christ. That if you fail in your marriage, you will fail to ultimately perform the duties that God intended for a marriage to perform. We're working together as a team The tragedy is not simply that you lose a spouse. It's that you lose an opportunity to serve the Lord in that capacity. 
But too often our marriages are the key instead of our service to the Lord. If we'd make Christ number one in our lives, in our marriage, in our homes, then we'd recognize what we have to lose is far more than just a relationship with a person. It's an opportunity to serve as a couple. So we need to work together. Work together to establish a Christian home. We don't have time to define what a Christian home is right now. But I would hope that we could. Matter of fact, one day I would like to just have a, a, a survey across the, 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 the church and ask every couple to write down what they believe a Christian home is. And then compare that to what the Bible says it ought to be. You ought to do that on your own. <clears throat> then bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We do that together. Do you know how many parents are always at each other's throats over the discipline of children? Do you know how many couples cannot agree on how to deal with little junior? And it creates a lot of problems in a marriage. It brings separation and isolation, resentment, and every other feeling you can possibly imagine. It's a sad situation. And may I say that God outlines biblical discipline. And the moment you accept his, his discipline, you'll be all right. Sadly enough, it seems that in many cases, there's one or the other that wants to apply the biblical discipline and the other one doesn't. And it creates a lot of friction. And ultimately, there's so much confusion in there and there's often a lot of finger pointing and accusation of whose fault it is for this and whose fault it is for that that ultimately the children are the ones that suffer most. They're to work together to provide a measure of stability to the community. Do you realize that as we have stable marriages, that those marriages ultimately affect our community? That's important. The church isn't simply isolated. God doesn't just simply write a Bible to the, the church only. He's writing it to everyone. And the truth is the principles are in this are universal. Do you know that a lost man that applies the biblical principles turns out a lot better in the end for it? This idea that only Christians benefit from the Bible is not true at all. Boy, when families work together, couples work together, and that's exactly what we're to be doing according to this passage in Peter. It's going to provide a measure of stability to a community. Not only that, we're to, be a more, we're to work together to, to be the moral and spiritual backbone of the nation. Why in the world are we in the state we're in in America? I'll tell you why. Because homes aren't abiding according to the word. Because couples aren't working together to promote Jesus Christ in the home. And finally, to provide a home which benefits and is a blessing to the local church. Paul discovered such a home in Corinth. Remember there in that wicked, sinful city, he met a couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. They were Jewish Christians who had escaped persecution in Rome, and of course, they were tent makers. The apostle Paul would lodge with them. He became, they became close friends with the apostle Paul, and they became co-laborers in the evangelization of that city, Corinth. You know, whenever Paul moved to Ephesus and he made his way there to be a blessing to them, they moved with the apostle Paul. They opened their house to others, and they started a church in their house in Ephesus. 
I mean, our, our lives, our homes, we ought to be working together in our marriages to provide a, a home which benefits and is a blessing to the local church. That ought to be a priority of ours. Can I tell you that I think if most families would make the church a priority in their marriage and in their lives and their home, they wouldn't have time to think about themselves as much? And let me tell you what, selfishness puts a wedge between marriage. It wrecks marriages. When we put Christ first, like the Bible says in Matthew, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. But sadly enough, what we normally do is we'll go ahead and go to church thinking it should fix our marriage instead of going to church because we know that it pleases God. And then when we don't get the result that we want, we blame God for not doing what he said he would do, and we get bitter at God, and we ultimately leave the church, or we continue in it in a bitter state, and we pass that bitterness on to our children. you got to be careful with this. And then finally, husbands are to be careful according to the passage. We noted again they're to be considerate right there. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. We're to be cooperative as husbands, as being heirs together of the grace of life. But we're also to be careful that your prayers be not hindered. Now that word for hindered is an, an interesting word, and it's used in a number of places in the Bible. It's used to describe holding someone up by breaking up a road. Now, there's a lot of roads getting broke up around the Akron area. And it holds you up, doesn't it? Man, I don't know about you, but that's frustrating to me. Going through construction and the roads are all broke up and they're rerouting you here and rerouting you there. Man, it's holding me up, man. And that's what it's talking about here, the, the, the word for hindered. It's, it's used again to describe holding someone up by breaking up a road. And it was used of, the, the, of, of detaining a person unnecessarily even. And Paul uses the word in writing to the Romans to explain why he had not yet visited them. He's telling them, I want to get there, but I've been hindered. I've been held up unnecessarily. He also used the word when telling the Thessalonians that Satan had hindered him more than once, mind you, in his effort to reach out to them and to return to their city. He also used the word to rebuke the Galatians. He goes on to say, ye did run well, who did hinder you? Who did hinder you? He said, ye did run well, who did hinder you? What he's saying is, who broke up the road along which you were making such good progress? Who hindered you? Now here in our passage, in the book of, of Peter here, when he's dealing with this issue of marriage, he uses the word to describe what happens in a home when a husband fails to live up to God's standard of conduct in marriage. When a husband fails to, to, to show the kind of consideration they ought to show. When they fail to be cooperative like they ought to be cooperative. When they fail to be careful and Satan ends up moving in and the Holy Spirit becomes grieved. And ultimately the, the, the devil throws up roadblocks to obstruct our prayers and to keep us from getting answers. You know, there are a number of reasons why our prayers seem to go unanswered. But often we need to go no farther than our own bedrooms, kitchens, and living rooms to find out why. Our marriages are not what God intended them to be, and we wonder why God doesn't answer our prayers. We're inconsiderate of one another. 
We're mean and we're nasty at times. We're selfish. We won't get along with each other. And by doing so, we are not being very careful with the wonderful blessings that God has bestowed upon us to be able to come together and to be co-labors together and to pray together and to seek the face of God together and to see the blessings of God fall on our marriage, our home, and our lives. Now, obviously, our text specifically addresses husbands. We already said that. But I, I really, I don't believe we'd have a hard time applying these general principles to wives either. I think it's pretty obvious that, generally speaking, there's some specific things here directed at husbands that may not pass over or transfer well, but let's be honest, the general idea and principle, principle being, co- uh, being, being considerate and cooperative and careful, those all apply to both husbands and wives without a doubt. When we fail to understand the needs of our spouse and in turn fail to fulfill those needs, it can be viewed as being inconsiderate. So I want to begin by asking the question, what is the greatest need of a wife and greatest need of a husband? And if you went to our couples retreat a few years back, I taught on some of these things. I don't plan on spending the time I did on them but I want to touch on them very briefly. See, for years, I kind of found myself teaching that the greatest need of the husband was esteem while the greatest need of the wife was security. I mean, that was kind of the general idea, right? I mean, preachers and others would stand up and say, you know, your husband needs, to, needs, needs esteem. He needs to be, you know, told he's a good man, a good guy. He needs you to pat him on the back all the time. And the greatest need of your wife, sir, is security. That's why you have to give her a home. Really? You have to have your own place. Well, then I haven't been a very good husband for 20, uh, 30 some years. Matter of fact, I just became a good husband. If that's what the definition of being a good husband is, providing security for my wife by having a home for her. Her own home. Glad I got that one off my bucket list. But you know what? That's not at all really what the answer is. You know what the key to understanding the need of the husband is? To study the responsibility of the wife. And then the key to understanding what the need of the wife is, is by understanding the responsibility of the husband. So let's talk about the greatest need then. The greatest need of a husband. The Bible says... Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. We're going to see this word submission pop up a number of times. It's always there. What we're going to find, because of time, I don't have time to go through all of it, but we're going to see this element of submission. Submit, submit, submission. Because that is the requirement of the wife, the greatest need of the husband then is to be followed. That's his greatest need to be followed. See, God emphasizes what the wife is to do on behalf of her husband. Therefore, that must be the greatest need of the husband. Makes perfect sense. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. 
Again, we're talking about being considerate. When I know you have a need and I don't fulfill that need, that is viewed as being inconsiderate. Well, listen, I believe many times that we're inconsiderate then because we may not even realize or recognize the needs of our spouse. It is our responsibility to know those, but I'm not always convinced that we do. And as a result, we don't even have a clue that we're not meeting the need and we don't realize that our spouse believes us to be inconsiderate. If you knew that I needed a pair of shoes and every day I came in and you saw my feet blistered and bloodied and you never did anything about it, nine out of ten people would say you are inconsiderate, right? And I'm fearful today that many marriages are struggling because husband or wife don't even realize what the need is. And the other spouse is going, you're just so inconsiderate. If you just open your eyes, you'd know what I need. And he's saying that about the wife, the wife's saying that about him. Greatest need of the husband. Notice what it says in Genesis 2, 20. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, I just want to give you a warning. Again, warning, danger, Will Robinson. This is not politically correct. This is not socially acceptable. But it is biblical. The passage emphasized the unity or oneness that God intends for a couple. She was designed to meet a need. She's to be a help meet. Now again, that doesn't just simply mean that she's to go around picking up your socks and and doing all those little menial tasks. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about literally meeting a need, a deep-seated need. She came forth from Adam. She is the help meet that he could not find in an animal. He could have trained a dog to pick up his socks. But he needed a help meet. I'm thankful my wife picks up my socks. She's a lot smarter than a dog, by the way. A lot. See, some of you already got an attitude. I can feel it right now. I felt a kink right there. I'm like Tony Hudson. I felt a kink. Help me. Watch this. Not only that, but he took one of his ribs. Notice this. God took a rib of Adam's to ultimately form the woman. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Notice this. He brought her unto the man. In 1 Corinthians eleven nine, 9, the Bible says, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. She was born out of man himself. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now listen, with all that said, 
It's important to remember then that wives were created to be completers and not competitors. It's not for a wife's purpose to compete with her husband, but to complete her husband. Now, this is not politically correct. It, again, it's not socially acceptable. Today, we've got this identity thing going on where everybody has to be their own person. Nobody can lose their identity in anybody else. It's always about me, me, me. I'm an individual. Oh, of course, I've been married, but, you know, I don't want to do a... I don't want to do a candle ceremony anymore because even when I get married, I mean, I don't want to just be one. I mean, I still want to have my own things and it's still about me. Don't think that's not happening in our country and in our culture. We got, listen to me, you go ahead and you do whatever you want. But I'd have been so disappointed if one of my daughters would have said to me, you know, I'm marrying this guy, but I want to keep my maiden name. That would have bothered the life out of me. I'd have been like, who do you think you are? What's, what, what in the world? Didn't God tell you to cleave? To, he's to cleave to you. You need to cleave to him. I know today we've got all these businesses and everybody's a, you know, got a name, so we've got to keep them on there, you know, Hillary, Rod, and Clinton, and all that stuff. That bothers me, stuff like that. I know, that's not, again, socially acceptable, but let me tell you something. She came from him. That's how the God designed it. She's to be a helpmeet. And by the way, ladies, the, the greatest need your husband has is for you to follow him. You were created for him, not him for you. Ooh, boy, preacher, you're treading on thin ice. I know. I feel it. Well, maybe I better shut the live stream off because if somebody that's liberal hears that, they'll burn the church down. Well, we got insurance, and then we could build it the way we really wanted. <laughs> They'd probably wait till I was stuck inside, though. Now, nonetheless, how can, a, how can a wife biblically follow her husband then? If that's his greatest need, and if you don't follow him then, you are going to be viewed probably as being somewhat inconsiderate. You're going to wonder why your husband has an attitude towards you. How's come he's so cold to me? How's come he seems so resentful? How's come he's so angry all the time? Maybe because he feels like you are disrespecting him because you don't meet his great need. He feels like you don't care what he thinks or how he feels then because he, there's this need in his life to be followed, but something's not going on the way it should. You're not following, and he, get, he resents that, and he thinks you're being inconsiderate of him. If you cared about me, you'd, you'd, you, wouldn't, you, you wouldn't object to everything I say. You wouldn't always have to stand in opposition to every, every idea I've got. You would, you would at least respect him as a man. As a wife submits to her husband, God uses her to underscore his value. Boy, you know what a husband wants to hear from you, man? I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. And you say, I don't believe in my husband. That's a bigger problem. You got a bigger problem than just simply being, you know, considerate then. You need counseling from the word of God. And you need to submit yourself to God first. You can never submit to a person until you've submitted to God, if, if that's where we're at, because people will always let you down. 
as a wife, you can do a lot to help your husband's need for approval, and men need it. You know, ever since we were little kids, we're running around trying to lift the heaviest thing, jump the furthest on our bikes, do all that stuff, because we want someone, especially a little girl, to pat us on the back and go, oh, you're the greatest. It's true. And he said, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. You aren't telling the truth now. I mean, you may not care about what certain people think, but there are some folks you care a lot about what they think. I want my wife to think she's got, I mean, she's got a hunk of hunk of burning love. I want her to think that I am all that and so much more. I want her to tell me how great I am. Now, she don't have to come right out and say it. I'll accept it in a lot of other ways. You know what I mean? I'm, oh, you just go ahead and just keep bringing on the good stuff. Keep making the good meals and keep taking care of the house. Keep taking care of me. Treat me like a little baby when I get sick. Praise God. Respect his decisions with a proper spirit. Then reverence him as a leader. Oh, my. Preacher, you're pushing it now. Let me tell you something. We've got problems in America. We've got problems in marriages because we've gotten away from the biblical roles. Seek out his advice spiritually and at other times. You say, well, I already know all the answers. Pretend you don't then. Well, I'm not going to. You need to. You need to go to your husband and say, honey, what do you think about this passage? Like you really have all the answers anyway. You don't, neither do I. That's some of the greatest things you can do to make your husband feel important in those areas. Well, I shouldn't have to stroke his ego. Yes, you should. You do. That's what one of your roles is as a wife. I don't care what the world says. I guarantee you every man wants his ego stroked. And you know what? You're his helpmeet. You're to help him be everything he can possibly be. And he can't do that without your encouragement. He can't do it. He can handle when someone else might get upset with him, I hope. He might be all right if the boss jumps on his back. It'd be okay if the teacher doesn't like his work. But boy, if he goes home and his wife doesn't say, honey, it'll be okay. I know you can do it better. I know they're just not seeing it the way it should be probably. And maybe you could have tightened it up a little bit more. You're so smart, I know you can do better. That's being considerate, by the way. So, reverence him as a leader and then submit to him. Oh, wait. Reminded that you trust him and believe in him. We talked about that. And then I think this is important. Point your children to dad for advice. Tell your children to go to dad for advice. Well, I, I, I know exactly what they... No. Send them, you wonder why dad isn't more involved with the kids? Maybe it's because he doesn't think he has to be. You're taking care of everything. Send the kids to him. Let him give some wisdom. Doesn't he have some? I'm sure he does, especially if he knows the Lord and he's in his Bible. You say, well, he's not in his Bible. Well, has he lived a little bit of life? He can help his kids. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to help your children in life. He's got experience. Let him share some of that experience. And then submit as unto the Lord. Submission to your husband is an expression of your submission to God. So important. 
So you got to do it for Christ's sake and for his glory. That's why you really do it, because you want to obey the Lord. Now, if a wife disregards her husband's greatest need, that would seem rather inconsiderate to me. And you know what it seems to him? Inconsiderate. So we continue, we examine the responsibility of the husband then, and in turn we're going to understand what the greatest need of the wife is. Now the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. So ought men to love their wives. Let every one of you so love his wife, even as himself. Ephesians 5, chapter, verse 25, 28 and 33. Every time we turn around, husbands are being exhorted, commanded to love their wives. Love your wife, love your wife, love your wife. Why? Because that's the greatest need of a wife, to be loved. A wife will live in a cardboard box if she believes you love her. She don't care about a house in the long run. She wants to be loved. Once she's loved, she'll want the house. But anyway, <laughs> the greatest need is to be loved. How do you do that? A sacrificial love. Christ-like love. You know, the Bible tells us that he sacrificed himself for his bride. He gave his life for his bride. And the greatest evidence of love is not what you feel. Or it's, and it's not what you get from another. The greatest evidence of love is what you give. More than that, it's what you sacrifice. You know, you want to make the great impact. You really want someone to know you love them? Then sacrifice for them. Go the extra mile. Do that which is truly inconvenient. See, the evidence of biblical love is always measured by its cost. We know David wanted to offer sacrifice unto the Lord. He was offered a, a, a place to sacrifice. He was offered the sacrifice itself, and David said, no, I'll pay for it because it has to cost me something to mean something. A sacrificial love. Your greatest wife needs to be loved. What? A satisfying love. Again, it's not enough to love your wife with a love that satisfies you. It has to satisfy her. That's what godly love is all about. Meeting the need of the other above self. Jesus Christ. His whole idea and desire was to please the church, to meet the needs of the church, to satisfy the needs of the church. And that ought to be our goal for our wives. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, it says, For no man hath ever yet, ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Again, the, wife, the husband's to nourish and cherisheth his wife, even as Christ did so with the church. And that word cherish has the meaning of protection, to protect them. We see it pictured in a, a mother hen that is protecting her chicks, that are placing them under her wings. It's warm, it's soft there, it's safe there, safe from danger. And that's the picture that Christ has for a husband and his wife. And your wife needs that kind of love. That's the kind of love she needs. She needs to know that her needs are going to be met. That she's not responsible to do that. You are. Talk about the breakdown 
of biblical marriage today. This is an area that has been totally disregarded, even in the church. And by the way, you're going to find something to be very true in marriage. The moment I don't need you, I don't want you. The moment I don't need you, I don't want you. I don't need to pick up your smelly socks and your dirty underwear, sir. I don't need you anymore. I can do that myself. I've got enough to worry about. What do you give me that I can't already get on my own, however I choose to get it? When your wife no longer needs you, it won't be long before they won't want you. And when, you're, when your husband doesn't need you, it won't be long before he won't want you. Well, I'm not going to stoop down to him. He won't treat me like that. I won't do certain things either. Okay, go ahead. Play that game. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. A little bit of my experience in life. Watching couple after couple after couple fall apart. When we disregard God-given roles, responsibilities, the dependency that God intended for a husband and wife to have with one another is lost, and the moment you lose dependency, you lose the reason to stick together and stay together. You go to the doctor's office, you find out that you've got an ingrown toenail. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not letting that doctor cut my foot, dig into that toe, cause me all that pain and suffering unless I'm getting something in return. What I get in return is ultimately a foot that's no longer, that is pain-free and functionable again. Let me tell you something. If you're going to put your spouse through pain, and listen, every couple is going to have difficult times from time to time. There may be some friction here and there, but I'm telling you, if you're not dependent on one another, if, you, if, I can't get, if my wife can't give me something that I can't get on my own, then I don't need her anymore. If your husband doesn't give you something that husbands, if we don't give our wives something that they can't get on their own, then they won't need us anymore. You, you go ahead and figure it out yourself, but I'm telling you, it's a problem. It's something we better understand. God did not design marriage the way he did with the roles and responsibilities the way he did without a purpose. And we're pretty smart in 2020. We think that we can redesign marriage around our personal beliefs and our personal ideas and philosophies without it affecting us negatively. We're watching the outcome of it. Our culture's falling apart and divorce is going through the roof. And now people say, I don't need marriage because why do I need the headache? I'll just live with them and when I'm tired with them, I'll go to someone else. Again, I, I don't know. I don't know any other way to be than honest. And I'm telling you, be careful. Now, I don't have time to continue. We're already out of time. This lesson's only like 10 pages long. Yeah, that's all. It could be longer, let me tell you. <laughs> it could be. But I do want you to understand that you need to know what the needs are. Now, I'm going I'm to give you something real fast because I just got to finish this, this section, and, we're gonna move, and then I'm going to get into practical application next week. Very practical application of this, okay? So here, in his booklet, Faithful Marriage, Paul Chapel 
shares a list of needs, 10 needs for both men and women. Now again, I believe it is extremely important that we understand our spouse's needs because otherwise we'll, be, we'll appear to be inconsiderate if we neglect them. For some reason, every wife thinks her husband ought to know. And for some reason, every husband thinks his wife ought to know. And so it appears to be inconsiderate if we don't fulfill a need. So I just want to share these very quickly. Here it is. Top 10 needs of a wife according to the author. Now, again, you, you can say whatever you want. You kind of put some years around. And again, I've already told you that, you know, I, biblically I believe that the greatest need of a wife is to be loved. And the greatest need of a husband is to be followed. But watch what happens here. Ten needs of a wife. Ten needs of a wife. She needs confidence that flows from your spiritual leadership. She needs assurance that she is meeting your needs. She needs joy in knowing that you delight in her as a person. She needs peace in knowing that you understand her limitations. She needs the comfort of knowing that you lovingly protect her. She needs your focused attention and quality conversation. She needs to know that you are committed to her above everything else. She needs to know that you will not willingly deceive her. She needs loving affection that doesn't lead to the bedroom. She needs your Christ-like leadership and spiritual headship. Top 10 or 10 needs of a husband. I'm just going to put 10 needs of a husband. He needs to be respected for who he is and what he does. He needs to be physically intimate with you frequently. He needs your gratitude for how hard he works to care for you. He needs your companionship and recreational activities. He needs your admiration and verbal encouragement. He needs a warm and welcoming home environment. He needs a home that is well-kept and orderly. He needs you to give attention to being physically attractive. He needs you to learn how to make his favorite foods his way. He needs you to stand behind him, cheering him on in life. Now, you don't have to agree with all that. But I'll say this, if we would practice all of these, if we would do our best to meet those needs in our husbands' and wives' lives, I think our marriages would be better. And you know what we'd be viewed as? Really considerate. Be considerate. I'm going to give you some real practical things next week. I mean real practical. I got a, a couple of pages of them here, and they're all over here. Four pages of it. We're going to see what we can't figure out. I mean, very practical. Again, laying a foundation for this, and then we're going to get practical with it next week. Marriage. Man, how important is it? It's foundational in our culture and our society. May God bless you as you seek to be considerate one to another. Be committed. Be kind. Be considerate. Those are the first C's. And one's really a K, it just sounds like a C. That we began discussing so far. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for all you do for us. And we want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to have the word of God. And again, many times, even in my own life, sometimes I, I learn something in the Bible that I never knew. Sometimes I come across something that goes against what I was taught even growing up. Maybe the culture, the society, the belief system that was shared growing up in school or wherever it may have been, it does not support your scriptures. It goes contrary to it. And Lord, I just pray that we as believers would make up our minds that no matter what your word says, we're going to just obey it. 
We're going to make it a priority in our life no matter what. We're going to follow it to a T. We're going to go ahead and make it the foundation of our faith and practice. Father, for the believer today, help us to be considerate of one another in marriage. Sometimes, many times, we're more considerate to others than we are our own spouses. Father, may you help us to make it a point this week to be conscious of being considerate. Lord, we'll thank you for that. Now bless us. Lord, we need you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed. We'll take just a moment.